1: Think of the most inspirational Instagram posts that you know. I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a brother, I'm an uncle, I'm a lover, I'm all those things. Well, I'm not, but our guest today, Dan Quinn, is. This is a My Millennial Story episode where I just chat with people who listen to the podcast, who like talking about money, who are active perhaps in the Facebook group, on Instagram, And you lurkers and freaks and geeks out there love getting pervy about everyone's personal situation. So, that's what we're doing today. We're talking with Dan about his money story. Now, we can't do this episode without the help from GlobalX. Each year, the ETF landscape grows as more and more funds get added to the market. That's why GlobalX have created a tool for investors to compare all the ETFs currently available in Australia – That's pretty cool. Do you have ETFs, Dan? I do have ETFs, Glenn. Yes, my entire portfolio is based on ETFs. Oh, there you go. So you can head to the link in the show notes or globalxetfs.com.au forward slash MMM to download your copy of the 2023 ETF Landscape Report. Well, are you ready to have a chat today, Dan, about all the money things? Absolutely. All right. Well, my name's Glenn James and you're listening to My Millennial Money. Radio, so if I just met you, which I have, you know, I know you've got an interest in personal finance, but like, who the heck are you? Like, what do you do? What's your life like? So my life is frantic because I've got three kids and a wife just went
2: back to four days a week work, um, which is pretty insane. Uh, I work for a live events corporate company, which I've done for 27 years, started from the ground up, made my way up the high end of the technically, you know, elite world. Mm. My knees gave out about five years ago, and I went into the office as a high end salesperson. And that's where I am now. Pivoted through COVID to online events, which you're obviously well versed in and Mm. played in that space. And then we're back in reality and spent COVID with, you know, three kids learning remotely, a wife studying a uni degree as a 45 Mm. year old uni student. Now she's reaping those rewards, and I'm still working from home. And what location are you based in Australia? Western Sydney. So out, oh, of, out cool. of a lovely place called Emu Plains at the bottom of the Blue
1: Mountains. Ah, very good. Ooh. Actually, wild this is so wild an episode that just went up recently with a listener my millennial story, Lindsay Whitehead who's also a dude in the group, lives up the top of the mountains. Yeah, so good. how funny is that? Now, how old are you? 46. No, 45. 40. I keep getting this 40. wrong. I'm 45. <laughs> and how old are the kids? And, uh 14, 12 and 10. Yeah. Wow. And what do you spend some of your time doing other than working and you know running kids around everywhere? Because I mean, 14, 12 and 10, that's the peak busyness, isn't it? I mean, it's all probably yeah, it busy. I've got no idea. But... I,
2: my out time for me is roller skating, quad roller skating. Really? I spend a lot of Yeah. I spend a lot of time on the, we've got a local rink. So I spend time on a local rink, pretty much any day where I'm working and the weather's good, I chuck the outdoor skates on and I go do six 18Ks.
1: Wow, so that's—I mean, I do Pilates once a week, and that's a pretty body, good body workout. But roller skating would be pretty good, full body core workout, wouldn't it? Outdoors is, indoors is not. Indoors is quite lazy because you've got really hard wheels
2: on a smooth surface. Outdoors, you're pushing way harder, and your heart rate goes through the roof. Wow,
1: wow! (laughs) Did you ever do comps with roller skating?
2: Yeah. So before COVID, I I will talk about COVID periodically throughout because Mm -hmm. it really affected our life. Before COVID, I was competing as a master, which is what an adult over 27 is. Yeah, And yeah, I was getting pretty good with dance on roller skating, so, which is literally dancing on roller skating. Wow. I was doing jumps and spins and all that sort of crap and then realised at 45 or 43 back then, that's not the cleverest thing to do. Mm. But then COVID hit and I haven't gone back to competition. So yeah. we have been contemplating it recently, but I haven't returned to it. So we, does your wife rollerblade as well, a roller skate? No, nah, she gave it a go for six months, hated it, yeah. stopped.
1: That's, yeah. That's fair. All the kids skate, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, hang on. My phone's just ringing one sec. Oh, it's the 80s calling. They want their sport back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. So, you do a bit of roller skating. Yep. You've got the kids happening. I mean, 14 would be high school, 12 probably next year high school. Yep. yep. Next year's it. Yep. yep. So, with the kids, are we doing private or public education? Public education. Yeah. That was a conscious
2: decision uh, a lot of years ago where private education would have made my wife go back to work before we wanted to. So, she was a stay-at-home mum for 10 years. Yeah, cool. That, that's had some, you know, pretty large financial ramifications, but it's had fantastic family outcomes. We
1: yeah. So, talk yeah. to us about that conscious decision that with mum staying home, you know, full-time yep. mum for 10 years, yep. you know, that could be at least a $500,000 financial hit. Talk to us through that process with you and your wife. Yeah, so I'm... I'm reasonably well-paid. In fact, really, on a few metrics, I am well-paid
2: for what I do, Uh, and I always have been. So back when we had the first kid, then we had the second kid, Erin was passionate about staying home and being with the kids. And so we had a conversation around that, and I went, you know, I I can't hand on heart say we went, okay, well, what does that look like when we hit 60? We basically went, we're going to make this work because that's what you want, and I am a passionate believer of a stay-at-home parent. I just am. I believe in it. So we made it work. What actually undid that, funnily enough, she went back to work a few days a week as a casual, was I reviewed our spending, and I review our spending yearly, most years. There was a $12,000, $14,000 whole budget, which was caused by kids' activities and my own skating at the time. My skating was costing about three grand. So we had a conversation at that point and went, would you be willing to go back to work a couple of days a week? Um, I can't earn any more income unless I go get a second job. And she went and worked part-time at Bunnings, actually. To fill that hole. Yeah. But yeah, we we made it work for as long as we could. And then we hit a financial decision where we either had to cut back on what we were doing or as part of that decision, as a complete aside, we made conscious decisions when we were buying houses, when we bought our Victorian house and now our Sydney house. We are not in a house that is big enough for us, but we have a mortgage that is manageable. Mm -hmm. And that was a conscious decision as part of that whole process was we were never going to go buy a mansion.
1: Do you find the the smaller house has helped the actual family dynamics. Yeah. Like, like we're forced yeah, to be together. I, I grew up, we grew up in a small house. You know, my mu- my wife grew
2: up in a small house. That was the way it was back then. You know, you didn't buy a five, six, seven bedroom house. Our parents couldn't afford it. But mm. need, Just forget it, you know. Mm. So two girls share a room, the, the oldest teenager does. It gets squishy. Sometimes we complain about the lack of storage. And then, you know, I just bring up the financial side of that, part of it and go well here's what we can do as a result of not paying $1000 mortgage every mm. week.
1: Now Aaron's back working four days a week and yep. you know in 10 minutes you're going to have three teenagers <laughs> yep. pretty much. Do you think the discussion will be there about maybe upgrading the size of the house? You know what?
2: Money is a really open topic in our house. Mm. Like, I can, my 10 year old would be able to roughly tell you what we spend on groceries every fortnight because we have those conversations. And when they pack four, five, six expensive snacks in their lunchbox on one day, I'm like, come on, what are you doing? We've had that conversation. You know, my 14 year old out of the house probably in five, six years, maybe seven. Mm. The other, we've got an eight year timeline. We like this position. Area where we're at, but my wife would like to move somewhere near the coast, mm. which is fine when the kids move out. If I was going to spend a bucket on this house in this area, on an eight-year time frame, and the benefits I would gain, it doesn't mm. doesn't work. You know, the impact on our cash flow would hurt in too many other areas.
1: Yeah, so I'm kind of thinking like you're not, you don't seem like a tight ass. You seem like you're a considered and measured and wise person with money like conscious yeah. because yes. a tight ass might be just like, nah, we're not spending any more money on the house. Everyone can squash in. We can afford it, but I'm a tight ass. But you're kind of the opposite, more like a conscious spender or like- we. I will not hesitate to spend money. I mean, as an example, tie it
2: back to roller skating- I've got a pair of boots that are starting to wear out. I'll probably get another two, three years out of them. I just replace them because it's it's something I really enjoy, mm. and it's something I will go and I will spend that money on. Mm. By the same token, my iPhone, which is you know approaching a year and a half old, I'm not going and replacing it because it's still a perfectly functioning phone, and that's
1: a waste of money. So, but even with the iPhones now, like the upgradable iterations, like the new variants, uh, like I've got, I think a 13 Mini. I mean, yeah. one, I'm not upgrading to a 14 because I don't think they do the minis anymore. But, like, realistically, since the 10, there hasn't been, I think people are using them longer now because it's not these huge leaps and bounds. Yeah. We're just,
2: we're careful with our money where yeah. we spend it. Like, the kids, we've always, like, if the kids come to me, like, my 12-year-old came and asked to do drama this mm-hmm. time. Right. And that was pretty up there. That was that that had a price tag associated. And it was a conscious decision to go, Yeah, no dramas. We can afford that. And I want you to do it. Mm. The kid comes to me and goes, I want this $120 hoodie. And I'm like, I'm not buying that. Mm. No hoodie's worth that. Sorry. When you're 12 and you're going to outgrow it in five days Mm. and lose interest in it in a week. So we're just careful with how we spend our money.
1: How are you teaching your kids about money through those type of lessons? Like if we spend $120 on your, you know, I don't know what brands, like Thrills hoodie now. I would rather get you something quality that will last. I don't know. I tie, what we do a lot is we tie a lot of the, our expenditure
2: back to their experiences. So because they all do activities of some degree, if they come to me and they want to do this, that costs this amount of money. And I can always tie it back to, okay, but you've also asked for drama this term and that's cost me this much Mm -hmm. and I'm happy to spend that. But I might need to give that up for them to be able to afford this for you. Mm. And I actually give them the choice, sort of. I actually tie it back to those conversations. And 90 times out of 100, they get that. And then so as an expansion of that, you know, with my 14-year-old, we've, she always rolls her eyes, but we've all, we've started discussing the fact that she's got investments in her name and what that's going to look like. Mm. My 12-year-old is right into it. We've had our conversations about compound interest, you know, mm. So, and my 10-year-old just. Forget it. Give me another couple of years with her. Mm. But we we don't hide money in the house. It's front and center. We talk about what we spend. We talk about where the money goes. And we talk about the ramifications of what happens if you want this. I all of a
1: sudden can't do this. So that's that's how we're doing it. Yeah. So the whole trade-offs. So in terms of your personal spending, like what bank account systems do you have? Well, structure? I think you should ask that. I'm going to plug your book oh. right now. So I'll be
2: very frank. Okay. I've been investing in the kids' names since I was 14. That happened because of a book my wife brought home called How to Give Your Kids a Million Bucks, Mm. which is fundamentally 20 bucks a fortnight till they're 18 in shares, hand it to them and go, look after this, you'll be a millionaire by 55. That's Mm. the basis. So that got me interested in in investing. At age 14? Uh, No, no, when they were 14 years old. I haven't looked at my money carefully. Yeah until about 14, 15 years ago. Right. So that was when my money journey sort of started. Oh, so until when your 14-year-old was born, rather. That's right. Yeah. So money came in. I knew our budget roughly, but I never really factored in what the future looked like. Yep. So then I read that book. The next day, I changed my super to high growth and started getting a really big interest in reading and, and doing mm. stuff with financial stuff. But I never had a formalized bank account system. You know, pays went in, pays came out. Yeah. Probably the biggest cleverest thing I ever did on my life was about 10 years ago was I automated all my bill payments. Yeah, awesome. So every fortnight, they are get paid bank prepaid. Haven't seen a power bill or a gas bill in like 10 years. Yeah. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Covid hit. So we got destroyed mm. in Covid. Like frankly, you know, our, our household income went income went to 45% of its regular thing. Um, I didn't have an emergency fund. Mm. We had about $10,000 worth of shares, which I got rid of. You know, they'd made it, but I paid them out. I took 10 grand out of super. And we made a conscious decision until COVID was over to do whatever was necessary to make sure the kids were as least affected as possible. So, you know, when activities started coming back, we paid for them. When, When life started sort of getting back to normal, but our income sure as hell didn't, we made a conscious decision to decimate our financial situation to make sure their life was as normal as possible because it was, just been, it was horrendous for the kids. It mm. really was just – I can't even – it was shocking, but mm. it was just shocking. Anyway, so at the end of last year, what really well, – July last year, what really, really, really started escalating my financial education um, and your book is part of that, and I will get to that. I got approached by a self-managed super fund business in Melbourne to because my balance had hit a certain level. My ba- my super balance is quite good for someone my age. Um,
1: Are you able to quite, share a, a type of range?
2: 349000 Just in your own? That's my own. Yep. So my wife's is a lot lower. Yeah. So obviously, which we're going to step start rectifying next year. Yeah. So long story short, they approached me with a wholesale self-managed super fund option. I built the whole self-managed super fund. They got an asset order put on them, so they couldn't do that. That's fine. I had a decision to keep the self-managed super fund. I spent five months educating myself on how to run that, and I I still have it. But as part of that whole process, and I'm 45, I started thinking about what life looked like at 62, 65. Mm. It was a big wake up to go, wow, I've been working for 27 years. I'm now closer to retirement than when I started working. I haven't really given enough thought into what that looks like. And at that time, I started reviewing all of the spending and the household income. I started reviewing the fact that I knew Aaron was about to start earning more money. And then I went, okay, I'm going to start really heavily researching this and start looking for groups of like-minded people. And in the industry I'm in, there are are not many like-minded people. They just, there aren't, Mm -hmm. right? So I found your Facebook group. I found Owen Rask, who I know you know. I found his group found a few other things, and I started following your, your Facebook group and having a look at the commentary from yourself and everyone else. When I was at in Sydney, beginning of the year, I went and bought your book, read it on a plane trip up and down from the Gold Coast, and went, whoa, okay. It was just like a – it was what I had to read, to be honest, and that's a serious plug, I know, but it mm. really just like – this just makes perfect sense. Like it, it just – it was a snap. So I came home, reopened my spend budget, spend, whatever you want to call it, which I've had for years, redid the whole lot, made sure it was all accurate um, and went and opened up a whole bunch of bank accounts, which match pretty much your, your spending plan.
1: And how, uh, thanks for the book plug and we'll put a link in the show notes, everyone. Like if you are newish to the episode and haven't heard much of my book, grab it. I mean, for 25 bucks or whatever it is, you know, and I think I wrote at the very start, like, I just want you to take one thing away from the book. And mm. I reckon if you take one thing away, or if I say some if I say something and it sparks a catalyst for you to think about something, it's worth the $25. I'm setting my expectations very low, but at least one thing. <laughs> Open it up, have a look at page 70 I'm on your financial it. house. Oh, yes.
2: That is the financial house. That was it. <laughs> yeah. When I read that page, I was blown away because I was playing around in that top roof segment of your investments and looking at property and looking at all that sort of stuff. And then I had a look at the foundations and I went,
1: ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not right. So I started rebuilding all the foundations. It's been great. Yeah. And it's not like doing money. It's not actually that hard. You know, there's a lot of noise out there and, you know, I'm probably part of the noise. But I want like my goal with this book was to, you know, someone like you would be like, oh, Yep, I can learn some principles, tweak it, and then you outgrow Glenn James because mm. I like I'm not a professional. I'm now just a facilitator of a conversation. And, yep. you know, so yeah, 25 bucks. thanks for that. We'll put a link in the show notes. But in terms of um, the spending plan, yep. your weekly spend account for like fuel or groceries or going out or, you know, all that stuff, do you and your – wife have separate accounts and that weekly spend you split or we have the one account with two cards linked to it now, it's a one account our cards are linked to it and we
2: both know the financial control of the household and i hate that terminology but the financial mm. control of
1: our household is on me
2: yeah i have the interest in it she has zero interest in it whatsoever
1: but that doesn't so mean she's... she doesn't get a say or can no no at... she's got full buy-in yeah absolutely yeah yes
2: very yep. much so and that's that spending plan is joint like she knows where our money goes. Yeah. She's actually tighter than me. Wow. She is like, she, you know, our clothes budget is ridiculously small. Like she just hates spending money. Mm. Whereas I will spend money on things I find value in. She really struggles, even if it's something she finds value in. I've nearly got to go, we've got that. You can spend it. Mm. Like I don't, it's almost like, you know, you're now earning, you know, nearly a grand a fortnight more.
1: Don't, just go. <laughs> did tweaking the structure and getting you kind of, you know, because if you were, you know, and most of the time, you know, it's either one in the relationship that will be the in the driving seat and then, you know, the secondary part of that is, well, that's okay and that's totally fine but you've just got to make sure that the other person has the option to come up and sit next to the driver's seat. They're not just relegated to the trailer of the truck. But, like, did it change the vibe of your relationship once you did the restructure and everything and I don't know.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, it made her feel far more confident that we pulled out of COVID and we had a plan and what we were working towards. Mm. And what we're working towards is a a holiday in Japan next year. Awesome. So we've got two goals. Uh, They're set goals. She knows them. One of them is to reduce some of our spending so we can rebuild the emergency fund. Yeah. Uh, Post COVID,
1: what do you think your them, target is for the emergency fund? Twenty-two grand. And what what's your target for Japan? Take the holiday. Twenty-five. Yeah. And like, and I think I cut you off. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. So where is that up to with the planning of both of those things? Uh, fine. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We're well on track. We're actually above track.
1: Yeah, so it's good. So yeah. coming into COVID, out of COVID, and all that stuff. What has your relationship with debt been like over the last 15 years? Do
2: you know, I read your book. Mm. I've had a credit card for years. Right. right yeah. So my my first debt, and it, that consumer debt, my first debt was a computer when I was 19. It was with GE Finance and it reverted to 30-odd percent interest oh. and then it went to a Commonwealth Bank account. And I, I reckon I've still got some part, well, I don't now, but I reckon I've still got some little part of that debt from when I was 19. I read your book, right? I think I posted in the in the comments. I went. I've had the, a, a two thousand dollar credit card for years now, yeah. probably eighteen years. It's always sat circa near its balance. We just use a bit of it. We pay it off. We use a bit. We like, I am paying them forty bucks a month for what? Why am I paying them forty bucks a month? I don't understand what I'm doing here. Yeah, you know. And I have half a clue. And I was paying them forty bucks a month. I paid it out that week. Scrapped yeah. it. Put it sort a shredder. Uh, I've got a video of me shredding the credit card. i oh. scrapped the afterpay. Like it's all – I have no consumer debt anymore. Yeah. And if I had to take on consumer debt again, it would have to be for a very good reason. You know, let's say my car blows up and all of a sudden I've got to lease one. But I've leased something that made sense, not a 60, 70 grand monster. You know what I mean? Well, like,
1: yeah. And I mean, yeah. the car blows up. you got an emergency so fund on there. the way or – That's right. Like, yeah. You know. oh,
2: that's that's cool. So that emergency, like
1: little things, right? I broke a tooth a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah, no, two and a half grand. I'm going to the dentist this afternoon, right? Yeah. And I'm really annoyed because I always book my appointments for (laughs) 2.30. And they text me and said, we're changing it to 2.20. I'm like, no. no. Um, I'm still going to rock up at
2: 2.30. Yeah. But a few months ago, that would have broken me, right? Now
1: it's like, okay, well, the emergency fund's just taken a hit, but- it is what it yeah, is. Yeah, and you know? that's what we want. We want emergency funds to make sure that your broken tooth, which is a now a minor financial inconvenience, isn't catastrophic.
2: Four years ago, they'd have ripped the tooth out because I couldn't have afforded to fix it. Yeah, so,
1: wow. you know?
2: Because it's 300 bucks to remove a tooth. Mm.
1: All right. I want to ask you about investing. But before yep. we do that, we'll just take a quick break because we've got to pay the light bills around here. So we'll be back right after this.
0: From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite.
1: Okay, we're back with Dan Quinn. So tell us about investing How are you currently building wealth outside your family home? Yeah. So my relationship with investing
2: started 14 years ago, uh, and that was after reading a book about investing for your kids for the long term and teaching them about that as they hit teenagehood, handing it over to them at 18 and letting them run with it, having learnt the the benefits of that. So that's where my personal relationship started with investing. And I started looking at, you know, value-based fundamental analysis investing, did a few investments, a couple of them worked, a couple of them really didn't work. And then I went, you know what, this is just looks all too hard and chucked it into exchange traded funds at the time of which you know we had nowhere near the choice we have now. And that's where it was. When I reverted my uh, self-managed super funds uh, in November last year, I had a very solid look at you know, index investing versus active investors, and the the fact that they just this is not a great idea. And so, my entire investment philosophy at this point in time, outside of my family home, is based on low cost index funds, core portfolio, primarily. You know, Australian US
1: uh, ETFs. Oh, sorry, and that is primarily in the super fund, as opposed to investments in your own name.
2: We have investments in our own name as well. Okay, they talk to us about my... them. So, they are a small building thing just to scratch the itch because yep. the emergency fund is more important now, Absolutely. but it's just to s- scratch yep. that little itch they are in three exchange traded
1: funds on Perla. Yeah. Straight up. What's the exchange traded funds that you use in your own name? VAS. Yeah. IVV. Refresh my memory. V-E-U is- Is X-U-S. Yes. International. Yeah, international. Yeah, 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 yeah. And- I don't know. Off, off the top of your head, do you know what the percentage breakdown that you target within the three? Yeah, I do. It's sixty, twenty, twenty. Yeah. So sixty VAS. S- yeah. Bit of a home bias there, hey? <laughs> I have a home bias. It's, it's, it's not a. Man, it's, that's not a, a comment that it's no, good or bad. No, it, I'm it's just being
2: a dick. But. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if it will be good or it will be bad. Mm. My my opinion is Australian equities will outperform over the next ten years, but. You know, I could be wrong.
1: I know. I like my own vibe is, and I, and this is just me. Like, don't change anything because I say it. I just think, on a human level, the world is bigger than Australia. Um, and that sixty percent, quote unquote, in vast It's basically banks and holes, <laughs> and a bit of CSL probably. That um, probably, yeah, oh, you're mean, right. But, yeah, and the, there'll be home bias in that decision. Yeah, so, totally. And that's yeah. fine. Like I've got an ASX 200 fund as well. Okay, so if we now move over to the self-managed super fund, like you got to approach, was it like a Facebook ad, cold call, a seminar call. at work? Wow, Cold call. Yeah. So it does so work. I,
2: <laughs> it, it does work. You know what? And it really does. And um, it was interesting. It was all legit. It was through a referral company. They were all... Legit companies. I did all yeah. the back end research. I had a look at the returns, and the returns went, Oh, you're going to make 22% or whatever. They were actually realistic returns. But at the end of the day, they were a wholesale fund um, and they got taken to the cleaners for offering it to a retail investor, which is fine. That's the way it goes. But before. But look, there was like the whole self, self-managed super fund was completely set up, ready to go. And that's when the ASIC stop order came in. So from a really funny turn of events, it sat in a Macquarie cash account from July until November and missed a massive dip. So that was quite entertaining.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's cool. And mm. because like if you had your time again, knowing what you know now, would it be fair to say that you wouldn't open a self-managed super fund?
2: I'm going to add a little bit more to the story yeah, before please. I answer that. Yeah. Uh, and once I had it open, there was a longer term goal once it was done of putting property into sure. it. So buying property with the self-managed super fund. What I have now learnt from that education experience, I will not be buying property within the self-managed super fund. So if I had my time again, I don't know. <sighs> yeah, I'm having a great deal of fun with it. and. Like it's pretty much set and forget now. Yeah. Like I look at it every few days and go, hey, look, I did that. But I'm not changing anything. I'm doing anything. I'm no longer going to invest in property in it. So in a few years, I might review it and just go, okay, well, it's costing me X amount to do it this way or it's going to cost me X amount this way to whack it back into Host or Aussie Super or any of them and allow you to do direct investments within them.
1: Or someone you know, like a NetWealth yeah. or Macquarie. The yeah.
2: biggest fundamental difference I discovered uh, was the insurances. I was able to get a much, much better deal on my insurances in the self-managed super funds for a broker than the super funds themselves gave me. Oh, absolutely, now, yeah. in saying that, if I review that against the compliance cost for the self-managed super fund versus paying my insurance outside of super, that may be a decision I make in a few years.
1: I don't know. And what... Um you know what is the brokerage account that you use in your self-managed super fund? At Macquarie. It's all tied to
2: the cash account. Because I'm such an infrequent trader, I don't care about commissions, like whatever. I am not trading daily. I like I buy stuff every few months.
1: What's the um the investments within the self-managed super fund? So, it's an 80/20 fund? Yeah.
2: So, 80% is in high risk high growth. Yeah. Uh, and 20% is in cash and bonds. The bonds is a bond ETF which is iaf from memory yeah it's just like 10 10 i think yeah 10% cash 10% bonds now out of the other 80 yeah 10% is in uh, a REIT ETF yeah. so property commercial property REIT yeah 10% like is actually in of gold. the AP or that's exactly what it's in yeah spot on yep uh 10% is in PM gold which yeah. is a Perth Mint ETF
3: yeah
2: the other 60% out of that is half So 30% of that would be VAS and then fifteen, fifteen again would be VEU and IVV.
1: Yeah, okay. So you've actually got a small international exposure in the super fund. Yeah. Now, so you log in and through the Macquarie, is it like a wrap account, Macquarie Wrap? No, No, it's a straight up shareholder account. I
2: actually use an Avexa to track my investments. Right, 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 right. Yep. I open up my Macquarie cash account every few weeks to make sure my super is being paid uh, transferred correctly because I
1: had an issue a few months ago. So I go and check that it's been deposited. And the cash allocation that you've said that you've got 15% in, oh, sorry, 10% in bonds and 10% in cash. Yep. Is that 10% in cash? Do you just hold that in the CMA or is it actually a cash ETF?
2: No, it's in the, it's in the cash account. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's outright.
1: Yeah. So you always hold probably 10% of cash. Absolutely. So here's my thing, like, and I just, I was thinking about this the other day and even the Perla one, right? How do you like rebalance? Like, do you have a a timer every three months you go in and you Mm -hmm. make the call to, oh, the IVVs had a run, we'll bring that down and put, you know, 3% back into VAS, 3% back into VAU. Like, how are you rebalancing? I have a five percent threshold, right?
2: And I re—I go every—it's f- about three, four months. I go and have a look, yeah. And if it's bounced more than five percent in either direction, I'll reevaluate it.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a
2: fi- its not a time-based thing. It's a five percent, right? Yeah. Well, it's—it's it's probably, ev- it's both. It's both. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and I'll, I'll balance that rebalancing against a capital gains tax event if I think there's going to be one. Right. And if I think that's going to cause me some pain, I'll actually wait for the next contribution to come in Mm. and
1: I'll rebalance it that way as opposed to To a sell-down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then your insurances through the self-managed super fund, is that a superannuation trustee and the premium is a rollover or is the insurance actually owned by the fund and paid directly from the cash account? Trustee. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: corporate trustee.
1: Oh, like a super trustee. Sorry. Yep. Yep.
2: Yep. Eighteen hundred dollars yep. is my insurance fee.
1: Uh, Australian super was over six thousand. Yeah, and a lot of people like and Phil from Sky Wealth, who you know we've had on the show before, he's got exact data in quotes, and this is like people think it's more expensive to go to a financial advisor. Sure, they'll get paid a commission from the insurance company. But it's still cheaper than a lot of the additional cover from group plans. Like, it's wild. Like, absolutely wild. One of the
2: primary reasons I kept the self managed super fund, Ada, have some fun, was because I literally saved nearly 5K on the insurance premium. Yeah. And then, you know, that gave me some more time just to.
1: Well, the, that. the good news is because you've got that retail insurance that's its own super trustee with a rollover payment each year, if you moved your super. Back into a retail fund, you can still keep that insurance. Mm-hmm. So I've just literally done the opposite at the moment. I've got a my death and TPD, like super policy insurance. It was rolled out of my RAP account each year. I've just opened a self-managed super fund myself. And instead of cancelling and reissuing the policy to the super fund, we're keeping it as a standalone super policy and then literally yesterday, I emailed my advisor and said, Hey, can you get the forms organized to change the annual rollover from the retail wrap account to my self managed super fund? And it just rolls over. So, yeah, no, that's cool. And with the, um, what are you guys doing in terms of increasing Erin's balance? Are you doing like a spouse split? Are you deciding on doing that each year now? Or And in a follow up question, is she going to be a member of the self managed super fund now?
2: Really good questions, both. So the first question is we are making no material impacts to our cash flow until, A, the emergency fund is back up, B, we come back from Tokyo. So everything from a cash flow perspective is on hold until we hit that point. Post that, I'll make a decision on whether I retain the self-managed super fund. I probably will, but that's still going to be reviewed next year. Mm. If I retain the self-managed super fund, yes, we will roll her balance into it. Um, and then we'll redo her insurances within it as well. And yes, we intend on starting to contribute more into her super to get her balance up as a result of that decision.
1: So, you've got my book in front of you. Turn to page 299. Uh, at the very bottom, what does that title say? Superannuation Splitting. So, this is the biggest awesome secret that won't impact your cash flow. Let's have a read of that. So, everyone at home, I'll read this audio book superannuation splitting. Another feather you can have in your superannuation cap, don't excuse the pun, is superannuation splitting. This is a wonderful option for those families with one spouse or partner taking time out of the workforce to care for the kids or where one spouse or partner earns less than the other. It's a great tool because you can split up to 85% of your concessional contributions, which are the deductible contributions, the employee contributions between the two. For example, you could use superannuation splitting to ensure that each year both spouse or partners receive the same amount of super contributions. The reason it's 85% is because the first 15% of a super contribution is contributions tax. So basically, if you were paid $10,000 a year in super, right, take away the $1,500 is the $8,500, you could basically every year just – send $4,250 over to your spouse's account. And that's a way that you can increase Aaron's super balance today without impacting your personal cash flow. And then for those playing at home, I actually, I have my book on my desk, everyone, because it's a bit of a Bible that I use for like everything. Uh, so I wrote it more for me than anything. Another thing, it is the end of the financial year. And I know that, you know, you are building your emergency fund, but what you can do is you could do a spouse contribution and you know these may change the thresholds each year with the government of the day. But basically, if you have a spouse who earns under $37,000 a year, you can claim a tax offset against your income tax of a maximum of 18% or up to $540. So it basically works out that if the higher income earner contributes $3,000 to the lower income earner's super account, you'll get a $540 tax offset. Just keep that super the splitting. splitting's cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think it is one of the best kept super secrets around.
2: Oh, There's something I wish I knew 20 years ago.
1: Yeah. So, in the Facebook group, you mentioned that you've used the services of a financial advisor. Was that for insurance only or for any other type of advice? So, when I set up the self-managed super fund, it was through their
2: own financial sure. advisor, which is fine. So, part of that was the insurance review. Yeah. I have used two recently. Um, One came through your site, which was um, sufficient funds. Right. Uh, Actually, there was another one as well, but I've forgotten the name, but it was through you guys. And it wasn't for raw financial advice. It was to have a clarity call and cross-check what I had done Mm. to make sure I was on a path that wasn't going to be a train wreck. And on both occasions, the affirmation, and that's why I've used two because I wanted two opinions. Right. Both occasions, I wasn't taken on as a client. It was basically, you are on the right path. Keep enjoying what you're doing. Maybe review it if a substantial life change happens. So, you know, start getting to retirement. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. Uh, So, I have used three basically in the last nine months. Mm. Come end of tax time, um, once I review everything with how it all looks, I am going to engage one again and I'll properly engage them. Mm. and go i want you to review everything as it stands with this timeline of 62. let's see where that's looking just i'd rather do that now where i've still got 17 18 years Mm. to fix it and just know i've got a lot of confidence in what i'm doing myself but there's always that nice cross check to go yeah you're actually on the right party or i actually think we should tweak it and go down this. You know, do this. Mm. No one ever says you
1: have to do what they say, but it's nice to get you know more opinions. Yeah, totally, totally. So you know, we've covered a fair bit of ground. Is there anything else that you want to maybe chat about, or give anyone a heads up about, or we can find someone uh, text me on Instagram this morning with a question. We could mm. read that out and chew on it for some fun. Let's do it. I'll, right. I'll say, I'll say two things. Yeah, do that. For everyone out there. Say two things. If you've
2: got kids, talk to them about money and talk to them about it earlier. I honestly believe financial education is a serious lacking hole in our education system and it's something that we need to teach our kids at home and get them ready for when they they go into that world. And the second one is it's never too early to think about what 62 looks like. Mm. Because if you can get to 25 and start looking what 62 looks like, you might be able to start looking at
1: what 55 looks like. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and balancing that with the living, living today, enjoy it. Yeah, you got to enjoy it. Mm. There's yeah. a balance there. All right. So this right. person, what's your Instagram? We'll keep it anonymous. Um, Hi, Glenn. I have an interesting financial situational question. This is the first time I'm reading this out loud, everyone. I bought my first home in September 21 for two ten. Renovated it, and it has now been appraised at three hundred twenty thousand dollars and it's currently renovated, it's currently tenanted at $300 a week. So it must be a regional property. Mm. I met my partner just before I moved into my house and moved in with him on a bit of land with my horses last year. So, okay, so the property that she bought is now an investment property and now she's met a partner and living. We live in a shed, Uh, not supposed to, but you didn't hear that, wink, wink waiting for him to sort himself out financially. He still has an ex holding on and needs to pay her out to remove her name from the title of the property. He also supports his parents financially and runs his own building business. I want to build a house with him, but I feel like his financial situation will hold us back. I want to protect myself financially, so I don't want to sell my house until his ex is off and out of the picture. But then we have his parents to deal with who are terrible with their finances for the rest of their lives. They live next door. I'm a bit stuck with what to do next. My mortgage is covered by the rent and I make a little bit extra that pays for my rates. So my house is paying for itself. I'm not contributing to the repayments for my partner's land because, well, would you? I contribute to bills. I'm saving what I would pay in rent. I want to set myself up for financial freedom But I want to make the right choices. I've just turned 30 and had a few personal illnesses, such as Crohn's disease. So not ready for kids until like five years. I feel like the next five years is a great opportunity to set myself up financially, but I just don't know how. I mean, so gosh, when I so when I get these questions, what do I do? I kind of compartmentalize it. And in this situation, she's got to rent a property, it wipes its own face, it's in the corner. Let's just forget about that, because that's not an issue. So, the real question is here. So, like in September 21, so I would probably say 21, they've been together 18 months, maybe close to two years. And old mate still has his ex and sounds like they're living in the shed of the property that he and his ex owns. I mean, I'm not doing squat. I'm just continuing to even just be cash heavy building my own savings and cash, not even investing and just getting the X out of the picture because they may need to sell that property to remove her off the title if she needs her money out.
2: So you really need to be in a position if you want him off the title, you you really are. You've got to get a, in a position to sell it or pay them out. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. so I, I just think, you know, that with the health, I'm just continuing to be cash heavy. Mm. Uh, I can't comment whether 18 months, two years is long enough to go full ham into another property with your new partner. Not sure. You could chat with a lawyer and look at binding financial agreements. I'd deal with the current situation first. Yeah. I I would just tread water, enjoy his company, keep your own money, build your own money in your own bank account, keep cash heavy, and then I would probably- once the X is free and clear, then you can have some real conversations with old mate, or it's yeah, I don't know. And these things like it's just like a big ball. So how, is that how you normally approach it? You go, here's
2: all the pieces here, and we can park this bit, and then address this bit, and then address this bit. Sort of follows on from each other. Yeah,
1: that's yeah. So that's kind of what I do because when people send in questions, right? Like you can see, I uh, I don't know if you can see like the big scroll of like paragraphs yeah. of stuff that they write and it's all good. Like, yeah, the the root cause here is, you know, I'll be very crass. You're shacked up with a guy, the ex is still on the thing, you've got a house. Like the whole priority for you at the moment is to not be contributing one cent to anything when the ex is still out yep. there because there could be some claim or whatever and you could lose your money and she isn't, which yep. is cool. But like you've got your health that needs to get back and happening. You've got to get him off the thing. I'm literally keeping the investment property aside. That wipes its own face and just build cash for the next couple Absolutely. of years. Yep. And then it's a decision. It's like, okay, new partner.
2: And have a sit down with your partner and go, what is your action plan to deal with this mm. property X situation? Like do you have – are you actually doing mm. something to, to – or are you just – Leaving paycheck to paycheck and not actually factoring what needs to
1: happen here from an outcome. Yeah. And it's wild because for example, she bought her first house in September 21 and then met my partner just before I moved into my house. So I'm thinking, you know, old mate's had his ex on the scene for over 18 yeah. months. Like it, it needs to be cut. And if we're waiting for property values to increase, that might not happen. Get her off the title, sell the property if you have to, Let's make this happen. Like, you've just got to move that emotional weight away, get that clarity, get them out of your financial life. Because as long as she, and I don't believe there's kids involved, but like as long as old mate's on the title with the ex, the ex is involved in their relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Simple. Like there is communication like, oh, the rates, yeah, we're paying half of this or... You know, he could be paying and I would assume that if the property could get $400 a week rent, some of that rent needs to go to the property holder, which is the ex. Or, oh, and another thing, right, the other big red flag and I'm being dramatic because I don't know the info, old mate supporting his parents forevermore, amen. Yeah, next door. Who are terrible with their finances who live next door. Well, why are they terrible with their finances? Yeah. Can you say to them, hey, you're both working. We'll just do the example. You're both still working because, you know, 30, 40, 50, they're probably yep. in their 50s, maybe early 60s. We're giving you, we're supporting you $400 a week or whatever. You're both healthy and making all these assumptions up. I'm happy to pay two grand for some financial coaching and counseling and, you know, buy the book, that, you know, buy my book, give them the Glen James spending plan. Yep. Just teach them to fish. Because that's a red flag for her if she's walking into this ongoing liability. So my parents are in their 70s. Um, My grandparents passed away last
2: year. My parents got an inheritance. I'm not too sure what the size it is. That hasn't been disclosed. They're wanting to move down the south coast. They're wanting to do all these things. The very first thing that came out of my word hole was, here are two financial planners I like. Go and have a chat to them. And they're Mm in their 70s. And it was the first thing I said. I said, you really need to go and have a chat about how this affects your pension, what it looks like to move down, how my brother and I can support you. But before we do any of that, I really want you to go and have a chat to a professional about what to do with those those funds, not just blow it on week to week stuff.
1: Yeah. So, and are we the first to say there are cultures around the world where it's expected that the children support the parents? Mm -hmm. I get that. And that's totally fine if you're willing and able to do that. But I think as someone coming into that relationship, you need to know what you're signing up to. Mm. If you buy the house with old mate, you get married to old mate and he's got this social or family contract that he supports the parents forevermore, amen. Yep. Yeah, awesome. But you need to but know. But if you don't know about the details, yep. what the, that's on you. You need to know what that looks like. I was chatting to someone uh, the other day, uh, immigrant and – Their kind of partner still lived at home. He lived with the parents and he supports the parents, both from the same region of the world. And she said if she marries him, she'll have to move into that house. And I'm like, that's fine that that's culture and it is your culture and all that. But if you're not about that, well, that's a showstopper. But it's just knowing like- Yeah. Agree. Okay. So I, I know that totally fine, you can support your parents, you can do what you want with your money, but you just need to know. And I would probably have a bigger problem, let's move all the cultural stuff aside, that if the parents weren't from a culture that the kids support and all that, but the parents were just working full-time, bad financial decisions, on the friggin' dokes every Saturday night at the pub, spending hundreds of dollars a week on chat, siggies, or whatever. I'm being very extreme. I'm not funding that because if you want my money, there are strings attached to my money. Yeah. And that's fair. Pretty simple. That is very fair. And that doesn't sound compassionate because it's not. I'm not funding stupidity. How often do you get questions like that? Oh, every second day. They sent that actually, they sent that to my personal Instagram. Uh, but if you are listening and I just, everyone, like my Instagram inbox, I just don't reply to my personal one because I need some type of boundaries in my life. That's there. I've seen it and it is answered on today's episode, (laughs) but our comments are worth exactly what you paid for them. (laughs) Big zero. Oh, so what are you actually, just talk to us about your kids' investments.
2: Yeah, so my kids' investments are an informal trust with direct shares through St. George uh, because we had St. George Bank accounts back in the day. And they are in that trust name. So you know the Arrows Daniel John Quinn and Arrows Aaron Quinn in trust of child per child per child. They have a couple of shares. ResMed's one of them. Retail Food Group was another one. So let's not even discuss that. That was a lesson Mm. in not investing in direct equities. Um, and SPDR's STW, uh, which is an ASX 200 ETF, is so, their main investment. So
1: what you're doing is, with the informal trust, yep. you're distributing the income, quote unquote, to you and no, her tax... No, so there are very
2: strict tax laws around that, and you're probably very aware of this now. Um, I had multiple conversations with my accountant and the tax department at the time to make sure... Uh, and the rules haven't changed yet, to my knowledge. I, I quickly read. So, if you invest, so we give we give them the money. We we put twenty dollars a fortnight, and we've kept that regardless of whatever's happened in the last fourteen years. Twenty dollars a fortnight goes into their cash account when it reaches an investable uh, amount, which is we leave it at six hundred. So, the second it hits six hundred, it buys more of that STW. Now it might buy some VAS actually, but we'll we'll start looking at what that looks like. Mm. Buys more of it, and that's what it does. DRP is turned on those. And so it directly reinvests back in the, that. The ResMed goes back into their bank account. If you give your kids money, if you invest in your kid's name, but you take the income and you spend it, you have earned the income, you're spending the income, your tax file number goes against it and you get taxed. for the, Now, it's no longer applicable to Aaron and I because we're above the family tax benefits threshold. But back then when we were starting to put investments together, that would have affected our taxable income. So we had we structured it as per the book I read, as per the ATO's guidance, as per my accountant's guidance. The kids' tax file numbers are against their investments, um, and that's done intentionally. Now, last year, my it's easy to say last year my ten-year-old was the last one to hit it, but they've all hit the four hundred and twenty dollars threshold now of income, and they are now being taxed at a higher marginal rate. Now, that is mitigated because stw has a very high franking credit amount so from a tax perspective it's not as horrendous as it sounds it's it's okay and it's you know i pay a much you know i nearly pay that marginal rate anyway if i earn if i was to earn that income i'd be nearly paying that marginal rate so they have been structured in that way when they hit 18 because their names are already in it soft market transfer gets changed straight into their names there's no capital gains tax event and it's just handed to them and i can prove hand on heart across the entire 14 years for the oldest and the 10 years for the youngest, we haven't spent a dollar of any of the income, has come back into our name, it is in their name and remains in their name and we'll do so.
1: So you have to have an
2: annual tax return for each kid? We do tax returns for the kids. Well, I pay my account too, but they yes, they,
1: yep. we, they absolutely have to do tax returns. Yep. Mm, yep. yep. So that's just one of the things that we, and I'm just on the ATO website, I'll read it out to everyone. That's why we're going to basically do an episode and talk about some options. So option one, mum and dad just build wealth, be strong financially when the kids turn 20 or 30, if you want to sell down some shares, pay tax your own tax rates and give them the money like you could give your best friend some money, your neighbour or anything, That's an option. Second option could be the informal trust with tax file numbers like you've talked about. Third option for some serious wealth, there might be a discretionary family trust, which is its own entity and all that stuff. Uh, The fourth option could be an investment bond. I think for me personally, when it's investing for kids that aren't your kids, investment bond makes a lot of sense and that's what I use for my niece and nephews. I have a question for you. You've just mentioned Mm. that you invest
2: in your niece and nephew's name in the investment bond. Do you talk to them about that?
1: Um, I haven't yet. I've said conceptually that you know how Uncle Glenn's a mean asshole and doesn't (laughs) give you Christmas and birthday presents? That's because he's putting money aside for you every month in your own bank account. Are their parents Um, financially? um, Yeah. Yeah, no issues. Yeah. But then again, like, I don't know. Because it... I don't have kids myself and money's not my problem. Like Grace got into some special learning education thing, accepted into a program. I surprised her with a MacBook Air for it. Nice. I, you know, when I was up there and visited last time, because they're in Queensland, I'm in Newcastle, I stopped by BCF and, you know, bought three dollars gift vouchers for the kids. Like, hey guys. Um, but I'm... Yeah, it's probably getting to the age now. Grace is in year seven next year or this year, I forget. Oh, how bad. Um, <laughs> and the boys are like 11 or 10, I forget again. Um, but yeah, it's, it probably will be a, let's sit down, let me show you your investment accounts. And basically, the reason I've chosen an investment bond is because uh, it's out of sight, out of mind. Uh, that it's internally taxed, it's yep. in my name. Now, the thing is, if one of the kids ends up in jail, ends up on hard drugs or ends up being a total rat bag, well, that money's still mine. Yep. It's just got at the moment a designation. So if each – there's three bonds and each account is designated to one of the kids now and they're a beneficiary of that bond. So if I died, it's they're the they beneficiary yep. and there's a note on there that it's intended for after age 25 for a home or education – In my will and my broader estate plan, I think they get a fair chunk of money, maybe up to three hundred grand per kid, but there's strict instructions that they don't get that until after age thirty. Yeah, nice. um, Okay. Because I just, you know, Mm. I'm not funding stupidity. And so anyway, like and then what I was saying is if if one of the kids ends up as a rat bag, I can just log into the bond provider and say I'd like to take off that beneficiary. Yeah. So it's just now an investment bond under the name of Glenn James. Nice.
2: Yeah, so we've, we've, we've approached it slightly differently to that where theoretically, hopefully, by the time they leave our house and they take control of it, yes, it will be there for them to use, but hopefully they've gained enough knowledge to go, well, if I just keep right on building this until I'm like 50, I can probably stop work at 50 if I keep building mm-hmm. on what my parents have handed to me. Whether that ends up being the case, who knows, but that's the the long-term goal. And it is a very long-term goal. Hard to explain to a 14-year-old.
1: No, that's cool. I think, but that's it. Like, I'm just going to do concepts that, you know, you've seen Woolworths. Well, you guys actually own some of Woolworths. We know that Woolworths is always going to be there. And I'll talk about, you know, as a business, they buy milk and bread and Mm. cereal. They sell it for more they pay some rent and staff out of that and there's money left over, the owners get that leftover money. Yep. It's a really high level. And then you end up getting some uh, of it. Yeah. Mm. So, no, it's all good. But um, all right, well, thanks for jumping on and having a chat. And as everyone, like as I said at the start, like, you know, Daniel's always being a pest and commenting in the Facebook group and I just want to you know, talk with people who are act. I'm quite active to my own detriment in the Facebook group because as a facilitator of this podcast conversation, I need to have my finger on the absolute pulse mm-hmm. with what's everyone's talking about. And then like, I, you know, see posts from you and your name. So, the name is familiar to me and they're involved member and you haven't been horrendous in terms of microphone and talent wise. So it's... um, (laughs) Well, it's just daunting. Like you're obviously in the AV world and, you know, it's easy to go up and do a sound check when there's a room full of people still and all that. So you're not shy. I'm not allowed to check
2: microphones anymore because I stand there and tell dad joke after dad joke. And after about
1: four (laughs) minutes of that, they go, next person. Yeah. Well, what what I might do is next time I do an event... Yeah. I might just reach out to you and say, can you hook me up do yeah. a, a connection? Um, Next time I'm in Newcastle, I'll be sending you a message
2: going, geez, it would be good to catch up and have a coffee in person. That'd be yeah, well, let me know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, It's all G in the H. Come on. All right. Well, you've been listening to My Millennial Story. My name's Glenn James and this guy is... Dan Quinn. All right. See you soon, everyone. Bye. Hey, hey, it's Kip Bodner, CMO of HubSpot. Join me and my co-host, Kieran Flanagan, CMO over at Zapier, on Marketing Against the Grain. We're not the typical regurgitated Twitter threads. These are takes from us, marketing leaders about what we're doing and what we're learning from our peers and what's working in the market and how you can apply them to your business. Everything you need to grow a modern business and have a strategy that is fit for growth in today's changing economy. Listen to our podcast, Marketing Against the Grain, wherever you get your podcasts.